You're listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. Bridges is a house church movement meeting in homes all across Music City. To find a house church near you or to find other ways to support or get involved, go to BridgesNashville.com. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where they were telling you a story or an incident and near the end of it, they say, well, the whole point of telling you this was so you would know. You know, in 2004, a show premiered called The Apprentice. It ran until 2017. It was the brainchild of former President Donald Trump. Now, this was before, well before, he ever ran for any type of political office. But the whole point of the show is that they would have people from various business acumens. There would be accountants. There would be people from marketing. And they would come onto this show and they would be put into teams. They would choose a name for each team. And then every week they would go through a process of coming up with some sort of a product or a marketing campaign for some company. Now, every week at the end of the show, they would bring the two teams back into the boardroom. Now, during the week, they would have access to uh, some of the best advisors and some of the best business minds that there are in the world. But when they came into the boardroom, uh, one team would win and one team would lose for the week. Typically, the leader of the team that lost would be eliminated. Now, they would do this every single week until they got down to the final two candidates. And that week, they would do the same thing, and all the people would come back from the previous weeks that had been eliminated, and they would have one final big showdown. And at the end, uh, there would be one a winner, and there would be a loser. And the winner would be offered a position in one of Donald Trump's companies. You see, the whole point of the show was to take somebody with promise and give them an opportunity in coaching so that they could prove themselves. You know, I can remember as a 33-year-old pastor taking the pulpit of our church for the first time. It was kind of a scary situation. When you are young and you're learning to be a pastor, there's so many nuances and so many new things that come up that you just have never experienced, you've never gone through. And if I hadn't had men who had been there and had done that before, mature men in Christ, mature pastors, who I could call when I went through situations, I don't know how well it would have gone I had many conversations with pastors that I had been on staff with and uh, those that were around the area that helped me through some really difficult situations. I needed someone to help me get further along. You know, as we continue this, this series, Fight the Good Fight, this is kind of where we are with Paul and Timothy. Paul is having one of these conversations that is the whole point of this conversation, conversation. 
So let's read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And let's look at some of what Paul is telling Timothy. This is what it says. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The first thing I want to say about this passage is this. You need to find yourself a Paul. You need to find someone in your life who has been further along in the faith journey than you and somebody who will see things in you, the potential that you have, and that can call those things out of your life. Someone who will encourage you and spur you on and help you to be and reach the ceiling of what God has for you. Now, so we know that Timothy is in Ephesus. He is a young pastor and he's pastoring for the first time. And Paul has been already talking to him and we've discussed this in previous weeks. He's talked to him about your calling and your beliefs. He's talked to him about your identity. He's talked to him about how to worship and how you should lead the church. And this is why he can say to him, look, uh, I'm writing so that so you will know how people need to act in church. In other words, let's not rehash everything that we've already gone over. I've already talked about everything that you need to know. But the whole point of this previous conversation is so that people know to how to act in the household of God. And so let's lean into that statement from Paul, where he talks about the household of God. You see, the Greek word for the household is oikos. And when I saw that, I thought, man, they really make great Greek yogurt. If you like yogurt, you'll really enjoy oikos yogurt. But the definition in Greek is this. The definition is all the persons forming one family, a household, the family of God. And what Paul is stating to Timothy and what he's trying to get across to him is like how important this is. Because what he's saying is, is, look, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than even the local church. This is about the church, capital the church. And actually goes on to describe it in the terms of a pillar and a foundation. What he's saying is this is about kingdom principles. Think of the meaning and the impact that this statement that Paul is giving to Timothy on the early church in Ephesus. Paul's words would have been thunderous because these new believers still had the concept of everything from the Old Testament. They remembered back to Jacob and where he met God at Bethel. He, they remember the, the tabernacle that was created by Moses where God would meet with man. He, they remember the temple that was built for the purpose of God meeting with man. It wasn't that God, and what Paul was saying was that God is no longer in heaven. Uh, he is now in with us. 
It's not about a, a term of, of a place like a temple or a tabernacle. Paul is saying, look, now when we meet together, it is the household is the family of God. It's not a place. Okay, so here's what we know about Paul at this point. Paul loved the family of God. You see, at this point in his life, Paul's whole purpose was to get people into the household or the family of God. It was about expanding the family of God, getting people to get on board. It was about growing everything about it. He wanted him to love it. And so what I see from this is that Paul was trying to get Timothy to understand, look, you could love the local church in Ephesus, but it's more uh, than about just the local church. It's about the family of God. And I want you to love the family of God. And maybe you're watching here today and you've just never really clicked with the local church. Maybe there's something in your life for some reason and you've just never you've never just really gotten into the local church. And so maybe for you, maybe this is the reason. Maybe you've never clicked with the local church because you never fell in love with the idea of God's family first. You see, I've been married to my wonderful wife, Michelle, for 35 years. It's an incredible expression of marriage. But do you know that I would have never stepped into marriage with my wife, Michelle, if I hadn't first fallen in love with the idea of marriage. You see, I believe that you will never fall in love with the local church until you fall in love with the idea of God's family first. You see, when we see it as the family of God, I believe it changes everything of how we view it. Here are three benefits of seeing it as a family, or here are three benefits of a family. Number one is this, in a family, it is a place of unconditional love. You see, in a family, you love. Why? Because it's family. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You see, blood really is thicker than water. In a family, you love no matter how dysfunctional that family is. You know, growing up, my older brother and older sister never really seemed to get along. Seemed like they were always fighting against one another. I mean, to be honest, sometimes you really wondered, if they really didn't, if they really hated each other. But one time, our next door neighbor uh, boy got into it with my sister out in the yard. And you know what my brother did? My brother went flying out of our house into the yard 
to give a beatdown on that neighbor boy. Why? Because family loves each other. And to be honest with you, the local church hasn't always been known as a place of love and grace, especially with its own. But I believe that when we see the church as a family, we love unconditionally and we show grace without reservation. You see, we come alongside one another and we lift and we encourage to the place that God has called us. And that's what I believe God intended for the family of God. The second thing that a family does is it provides a place for each member. So in a family, it only works when everybody has a position to fill and they do their job. Maybe it was mowing the grass. Maybe it was cleaning the dishes or the bathrooms or doing laundry when you're growing up. But everybody has a job and everybody fills that position or does that chore around the house. If you have a job and you don't fulfill your job, the whole family suffers. And that is the point that there is a place for every member. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You see, in God's household, there's a place for you to use your talent, to use your abilities, to advance the kingdom. You see, here at Bridges, we're always looking for opportunities to get people involved and allow you to do your thing. The third thing that we see with the family is this. There is a place for every expression. Now, this one is important. You see, in a family, every personality has a place. And you may have an aunt or a grandma that was a hugger. Maybe there were some in your family that are loud and some that are quiet. But I believe every family has a crazy uncle somewhere. Now, in my family, we had crazy Uncle Paul. And growing up as a kid, when Uncle Paul came over, he tormented us. And when I say that, I mean that in a good way. He was fun to be around, and he tormented us in a way that made us all run and laugh and have a good time. And when my boys were growing up and my nieces and nephews were growing up, the legend of Uncle Paul only seemed to grow even more. You see, you in a family, there's a place for every expression. And the house of God is a place where you can use your gifts and your personality and be who God has made you to be. Second Corinthians chapter 9 says this in verse 11, the service that you perform is not only supplying needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. 
and for your generosity in sharing with them with everyone else. So then Paul continues, and he states that it is the church of the living God. So he carries out this idea that now it is no longer a place that you meet. It is God's people meeting and God's special presence is found. See, the phrase, the, uh, the church of the living God, could be seen as a place where God is found. So now we know that God is everywhere all the time, but he is with his people gathered in a special relational way. We see this concept in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 verse 15 says, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in it. You see, so when Paul uses the phrase living God, he means it a bit more than the fact that God is just alive. He literally has in mind that the church is a place where the creator of the universe is found. You see, the church, the house of God, is this incredible place where his people come together and God shows up. It's a place where the church preaches the gospel, the Holy Spirit moves, people are saved, healed, set free, and called. Now let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to end this. He says this, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, and was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. You see, here Paul recites an ancient hymn about Jesus. It's a worship of the one who puts the oomph into our gatherings. This is why we gather, and he is the power behind everything that happens. This is the mystery of godliness. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Heaven, left everything and took on the form of man, where he lived his life in perfection to die and rise from the dead to be glorified. You see, without Jesus, we're just a group of people meeting together, singing songs, and listening to someone talk. There's nothing special. There's nothing magical about that. But when we gather as God's children, Jesus changes everything. The power and the glory of heaven and the kingdom of God is released in our midst. You see, the whole point up to this time was to show Timothy, this is more than just about me. This is more than just about you. This is about the house of God. This is about sharing the power and the presence of a God that has the ability to change men's hearts 
lives, and circumstances. And I believe that Paul's words are calling to you, me, and Bridges to something bigger than ourselves, to join together with the one who has the power to change lives. Thanks for listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. To stay up to date on everything going on at Bridges, you can find us online at facebook.com slash Bridges Nashville or at Bridges Nashville on Instagram.